Welcome to Babbittville Radio, a place where you'll hear great conversations with the world's best and most inspirational runners, triathletes, and cyclists. Endurance lives here. Now, here's your host, USA Triathlon and Ironman Triathlon Hall of Famer, Bob Babbitt. Welcome to Babbitt Radio. My name is Bob Babbitt. We're brought to you by UCAM, smarter energy to finish strong. By VeloFix, the world's coolest mobile bike shops. By Endurance Con, coming up on June 27th and 28th at the Long Beach Convention Center. To purchase tickets, go to EnduranceCon.com. By our Challenged Athletes Foundation, our 27th Annual San Diego Triathlon Challenge, coming up on Sunday, October 18th. Don't miss the best day in try. Go to ChallengedAthletes.org for all the info. You can check out any of our interviews on Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Babbittville.com, and all of your favorite podcast apps. Plus, be sure to subscribe to our Babville YouTube channel today to watch all of our awesome Breakfast with Bob interviews from the world's most important races. As always, Endurance lives here. Our next guest, former world record holder at 100 meters, now becoming a decathlete, hopefully, for the 2020 Games in Tokyo. His name is Richard Brown. Richard, how are you, sir? I'm doing pretty good. Just finished a nice pool. You know, you know I, I think I watched you at the Olympic Training Center training. and But let's go back early on. So, 2000 and well, early on, what were your sports before you were injured? Um, before I was injured, I played football. Um, I played safety. Uh, I, I'm a Southern boy, so pretty much I played football from the time of like seven all the way up. So. Where'd you grow up? I grew up uh, down south in Georgia. Um, between Mississippi and Georgia, I lived most of my life in Atlanta, though. So I like to call Atlanta home. So in 2007, you went through a, a plate glass window. How did that happen? It was just any day. Uh, it was a rainy Monday. I was literally just doing laundry, and I tried to run to get out of the rain to go back into the laundromat, and I slip and fall. Oh my uh, God! On a puddle, and I, my right leg goes through the. A, a, the bottom of the plate glass, and um, it's just cut my tibial artery in half. It was just a perfect slice. I um, oh. end up having about thirteen surgeries, you no know, reconstructions, you know, whether it's vascular, muscular, even nerve uh, nerve graft at the time. Um, nothing really took. I was in so much pain all the time. It was just so much pain all the time. So I decided to when I was when I turned nineteen, I can make my own decisions. The doc, I, I went to the doctor and I said, I need you to amputate this because I, I want to go on with the rest of my life. Wow. And so if two, this happens in 2007, and by 2010, you'd had all these surgeries. And mm-hmm. were there points during that time, 7 to 10, where you're wondering, I, I don't know if, I've, if my life is ever going to be okay again? Yeah, it was those down times. Uh, I had a great, great support cast um, around me, and I'm grateful for that, whether it was my doctors, my nurses friends you know i've always had a great support system um behind me and i think that's very important when you're making you know you're going through something tough even when you when it's happy times but when you're going through something tough in life having a great support system is in, is key um so when it when it came time to make that decision uh it was easier for me just because i knew i had the support of my friends and family and my doctor as well so uh it was very much low points all the time uh, just going up and down up and down it's just it was usually just the pain yeah, I was always in pain, and there was, you know, it was lots of pills and pain blocks and nerve blocks, and I couldn't be a normal kid. I was 16, 17, 18. I wanted to be a normal teenager, so that's what prompted the decision to go ahead and get it amputated. So when you when you finally had it amputated, did you know what was out there in terms of Paralympics and running, or was your amputation primarily, listen, I just can't live with the pain anymore. Let's just get rid yeah. of this thing. I'm I'm like any typical person around 2009, 2010. I had no idea what the Paralympics were. No idea. You know, uh, I've you know I, I heard you know about Oscar Pistorius and his uh, his, uh, his you know his going trying to get into the able body games, but that was during the time of my amputation at the time. Um, so honestly, track and field and para sport kind of just fell in my lap. I just wanted to be a like I was. I just wanted to go, you know, be able to go party in college. I was a freshman in college. I just wanted to go to party, <laughs> and enjoy my college experience. Absolutely. You know, I, I, I had no, I had no thoughts, no desire to be an athlete whatsoever after becoming an amputee. It was really just, hey, I want to live a normal life. I want to be able to get around when I want to. I want to be able to go where I want to. Uh, technology wasn't the way. It, like I didn't know about. Running legs and no, all of that. Yeah. yeah, I literally just wanted a prosthetic where I could just walk around, you know, and that was that. 
So how did you go from, because this is 2010, where you're having your mm-hmm. leg amputated, and then you're later at the London at the Olymp, uh, Paralympics in London. So obviously, yes, obviously, we're talking somehow you found that, oh, my God, I, I never thought I was going to be an Olympic athlete, but maybe there's a silver lining here. Yes, sir. That was the fun thing about it. Um, I actually, because I was, I've always been an athletic kid, so I go back to playing intramural sports at my college at Morehouse in Atlanta. You know, I'm playing basketball in the mirror, I'm playing football, and I was doing all of this on my everyday walking leg. Right, <laughs> yeah. So my, my processes, you know, he, without my knowledge, actually, he reached out to OSA, he reached out to Freedom, he reached out to Autobot, and, you know, Freedom Innovations, you yeah. know, they sent me a prosthetic leg, and it was, a, you know, it was built for running. It wasn't a sprinting leg or anything like that, because they didn't have anything in the works at the time for sprinting, but it was better than what I had. So... I literally got gifted a running prosthetic, and the rest is history. <laughs> okay. Again, it's a support system and the people you have behind you who are looking out for you because I, he didn't tell me anything about it. He just said, like, Richard, you want to come into the office and try to run? I was like, sure, why not? Absolutely. Someone's yeah. going to get me a leg and talk to me about running. So when did you start learning about oh, or go out to a meet and find out that, you know, I'm actually pretty good at this? Yeah, so I go to Endeavor Games in two Yep. 2011, I go to the Endeavor Games for the first time, and I meet David Prince and Cassie Sellers, and I'm actually a jumper at the time. I have I didn't run at all, like I didn't run. I was a long jumper, high jumper. Yep. And they were like, "Yo, you can be really good at this. You can stick. You should stick with it. You can be really good at this." And I'm like, "Ah, you know, I'm just trying to, you know, I just want to have something to do, really." Right. <laughs> so, you needed a you sport. You got to have sport. Yeah. I just wanted to get back to life. That was the biggest thing. Like, track and field, I feel like, really gave me my life back in a way that I didn't even know I lost it. Uh, it gave me that, that – it gave me my competitive fire back. It gave me my, my will and my zeal to live back that I didn't even know I really had lost because I get invited to Crystal Palace in England to go run against Johnny Peacock and Arnu Fareed and all these big names who I've watched on YouTube over the last year and a half because I've started running them, and I'm, I'm shell-shocked when I get to London. Uh, and, I'm, you know, cl- and I'm in a stadium full of 25,000 people, and it's scary. <laughs> yeah. And I remember crying, like, I don't supposed to be here. <laughs> and, <I was> like, <laughs> and, and Johnny Peacock, at that point, is a world record holder, right? Uh, uh, he wasn't the world record holder yet. But he would become. He would become the world record holder. He would become the um, Paralympic gold medalist, Olympic champ, all that good stuff. Yeah. So that and, and it's funny because I came in second place to Jenny at that race. Wow. And that was your Everybody. was that your first race? Yep, that was my first international competition, yes sir. Wow. My first big race. In I Crystal in Palace in London with Johnny Peacock and you get second to him. Yes, sir. So it was a it was a big foreshadow to the things to come. I had no clue that I ran the stand I had ran the Paralympic standard. It was like the fourth fastest time in history at the time. I knew none of those things until I got home. And they were like, "So you're gonna you're gonna get ready for trials, right?" And I'm like, "What do you mean?" And they were like, "You have a shot to make the team." <laughs> I was like, "What?" So I pack up all my things from it. Like I leave school from Atlanta. I drive order for like because a coach was like, "Look, you you can do this. You can really." His name was Michael Childs. I had I don't know how he knew me. I don't know. Honestly, it was all fluky. It was just a big fluke. They reached out to me, and I was like, "Fine, I'm doing it." Right. So I, I drive to Orlando. It was um, it was like February of 2012. We trained so hard. So it was a, it was the hardest thing I had ever done. We trained so hard for four months. You know, just because we were behind the eight ball, we didn't really know what the Paralympics were still. But we found out all that information, and we just hit the ground running. And I get to, I think it was in Indianapolis trials where in 2012. Mm-hmm. Yep. And I, and I and I ran 11-0, and I made the team. So it, and wow. It was, Yep, it was an amazing feeling. It was the fastest time ran by a single amputee that year outside of Jenny because in that same race, Jenny broke the world record. So the same <laughs> race I broke, yeah. So it was just a really fast race. It was Blake Lee for Jerome Singleton, all these names that I literally have been watching for the last year, and I was starstruck to be even in beside these guys. I have been racing them all year, but to be at trials and it to be such a fast race. It was three people to go. It was two people to go under eleven seconds in my eleven zero. So it was just a crazy race. Wow! And I remember I was in the stadium in London, and I, I think that that Paralympics really changed everything mm-hmm. because when Oscar Pistorius was in the Olympics in London, and now he's going to the Paralympics, there was something that just clicked with people. It's like, oh my God, this guy's doing both. 
And all of a sudden, there's 85,000 people in that mm-hmm. stadium. Uh, did that affect you at all? Are you one of those guys when the lights are brightest? I, I, I dig that. Or do you feel like, oh, my God, I'd, I'd rather run this meet in front of my friends and family? You know what? I think that's a true American in me. Like, the bigger the show, the bigger I, I perform. Yep. Like, I, <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Cocky American in me. Because, when, like, when I remember being – at the start line, because I, I went through prelims, prelims pretty easily, like they thought I would. I, you know, I pretty much jogged through prelims. I make the final. And um, I get to the final, and I remember Johnny was to my right. Yes. No, Johnny was to my left, and I was literally between Johnny and Oscar. So, wow. <laughs> You're between Johnny and Oscar Pistorius. Yeah. Yeah. Having Johnny right beside me, honestly, is the reason I came in second, because when they said his name, you could literally feel the stadium shake. It was so loud because he's a Brit. Right. It was so loud that the track underneath us shook. Like everybody in Great Britain screamed at the same time when they said Johnny Peacock. So at that moment, I was like, I have no pressure on me. None. Like, like this, that no one even knows who I am at this point. I'm here to show the world that this is my sport now. So I got out. It was a it was a really shaky start because um Alan was he kept falling. He just kept falling over, kept falling over. So it was frustrating, but once the gun went, it was like an out-of-body experience. Like, I, I got out of an amazing start. I, I had never gotten to start because I'm a horrible starter. I'm a horrible starter. I got a cracking start. I get out to about 50, and I realize, hey, it's just me and Johnny in this race. No one is close. No one is close, Richard. Just run. Just run. <laughs> I remember I said, Richard, get to the finish line. Get to the finish line. Get to the finish line. Because Johnny kind of, of course, in Johnny fashion, he pulls out. At the last like twenty meters, and I realize I'm not going to catch him. But don't let anybody catch you, Richard. Don't let anybody catch you. So I just I get to the finish line, and I got silver. That is it was like an a... amazing experience. It was, wow! It was, I remember dropping to the track when I saw my name in second place. I remember screaming out loud. My dad and my whole family, my my family was there. I remember finding them in the stands. Like it was crazy. It was an it was an amazing experience, definitely. I mean, look at you go from two thousand and you know two thousand and ten, where you're in all this agony after all these surgeries. You have your leg amputated. You don't know what's in front of you. All you know is pain is gone finally. Mm-hmm. And then two years later, you're on the biggest stage in the planet, getting a silver medal. I mean, who would have thunk it? Not I. Not in a million years that I've ever thought I'd be even outside of, you know, the Southeast. I had never traveled up until 2011. I had never been on a plane. Oh, my God. In a different country, having passports, people knowing your name. I remember, like, I thought I could just go to the mall the next day. I remember me and my friend, my friend, son, it's the day after the 100-meter final. And we just like, bro, you want to go to the mall? Like, sure. Let's go. Because we had been doing it all the whole week. Right. That we're in the village. We had just been going to the mall, chilling out. But that that day. I, I didn't realize my life had changed because I walk in the mall and I'm like mobbed by like dozens and dozens of people. Yep. Like, oh my God, life is different. At that moment, I knew life was different and that I had a platform and I had something. I had my lottery ticket, so to speak. Yes. At that moment, I figured that that I figured that out. So July 2013, a year later, your your momentum keeps going. You break Johnny Peacock's record, mm-hmm. like 10:83 in you know in the. In the semis, and then in London you go 1073, mm-hmm. and then you know in 2014 at Mount Sac in the 200, you, another world record 2191. Mm-hmm. So everything's flying, everything's going great. Yeah, it was a it was a crazy few years just because I I literally hit the ground running. Like I I decided in my head after lose because I broke the world record in Lyon. Uh, in the semis, but mm-hmm. I lost the journey in the final. It was a very, I only lost by point oh one. Wow. And it was the worst feeling I have ever felt in my life. Like, I, I've i been in a, a lot of low situations up until that point, but losing to Johnny that race that way was, a, and I told the reporter, I remember saying, I will never lose a race again. And I never lost a race again up until I, I, I had my personal issues, but for the next three years, I didn't lose a race. So talk about your personal issues. We, we, we met at Starbucks a couple weeks ago. I was with Rudy, and I just see a guy who's been on a roll and you know going through it. But, of course, all of a sudden now you're in the spotlight. Now you, yeah. you're, got, you're This is all brand new. Everybody's mm-hmm. your friend. Everybody's saying, hey, I'm going to get you sponsorship. I'm going to do this, do that. Was that hard for you to deal with? It was very hard, and I think that was the thing. I, I wasn't mentally prepared for what was coming. Like Because I go – 
all the way to 2015, and I'm the world champion, the double world record holder, and you don't really know what that comes with because you're because you're used to being just an athlete. Right. I was just an athlete for so long. Like at, at the beginning of my career, all I had to do was run. But now you have people want to sponsor you, and you have these responsibilities. And now I'm having children, and I'm married, I'm divorced. I've, I've grown through this. I, I I was a kid when I came into the sport. I was 20 years old, you know. Right. <laughs> I was 20 years old when I came into the sport. I was I was a baby, at, compared to what I am now. Like I had no clue what the world was. I had no clue what responsibilities came along with this platform. And and I and once 2016 happened, I had my third child. It becomes track wasn't fun for me anymore it was more of a job there's a way to support your family and a way to support my family but the problem was it's very hard as a paralympian as a paralympian to support your family doing what you love to do even though we train it's not just as much if not harder than the olympians like even though i have to travel just as much as them the same races the same venues we weren't getting paid the same and it became such a burden with you know and then my i had to really check coming into 2016, 2017, my mental health, because I did break down. I, I, I did not realize how much work it actually was to be great and remain great. Like, to get there is one thing, but to stay there and to keep pushing forward and not get complacent and, and not have those, those lows and times where you just say, you know what? Forget this. I don't want to do it. I want to be normal. I don't want people to know who I am. Like I'm a little, I'm a, I'm a little Southern boy that you know from a small town. Right. We know everybody. Like everybody knows you. You know everybody else. Your parents. Everybody grows up, never leaves. That's where. That's where I'm from. So the fact that I had so much to do and I've done so much. When I go home, it was even a more responsibility within my family. My brothers and sisters were looking up to me. People in the community, you know, all these kids were DMing me about how awesome and how, how I could help them. And it was just a lot. I, I did not realize how much came along with it. So now, like you said, like now when you see me at Starbucks, now I know I'm here writing my affirmations. I'm here making sure that I'm mentally strong. I'm mentally stable because without that, Nothing else can kind of work. So, so what happened? What? Wh- how did you spiral? And and what was the lowest point there after that? The lowest point, honestly, was losing my kids. Um, it was hard for me. Like their their mom was, you know, estranged. I was estranged. Uh-huh. I wasn't able to see my kids because of my career, not in and because of the choices I made in order to be in my career. And it's such, and it was such a balancing act. And again, I'm only 26 at the time. I'm still trying to balance it. I'm still trying to figure it out. No, what kid knows who they are around this age? It's, you're really starting to figure it out. Yeah. At this, but I had already gone through so much. I had already seen so much. So I was being pulled in so many directions. Like I, my family needed me, but the way I take care of my family is I need to be across the world. Right. Because there's no. To, you can't make a living in the states as a track yeah, and field guy. You got to be in Europe. You got to be in Europe. You got to be in Asia. Like you have to be on the road, you know, six months out the year. And that's just how it worked. But I was a full time dad with toddlers. I have, I had three kids under five. It was five, four, three. Oh <laughs> my know? God. Yeah, <laughs> you so know, it's, hard. you know, what's so funny about that. I remember talking with this, uh, duathlon kid years ago. His name was Kenny Sousa and his coach was Sebastian Coe's coach, this guy, David Martin. And, you know, Kenny dominated the world in whatever year it was. And then the following year, you know, his performance fell off. And I, I was asking his coach, I said, David, what's going on? He goes, well, think about that you have your energy pie. You have a pizza, basically. That's your life, right? Here is family, friends, training, uh, racing, traveling, right? Kenny had five. He, all he had was he trained, he raced, he recovered. He had big slices in that pie. Now, the following year, he got married, he had a kid, uh, he had a house, he moved to Colorado. He says, now the pie doesn't get bigger, the slices <laughs> get, they get thinner. So, you know, exactly. you're like the perfect example of that energy pie. Before, it was like, I train, I race, I travel, I recover. And then, mm-hmm. I, got, I got one kid, I got two kids, I got three kids, I got other family that's probably looking at you as a way to potentially help them out financially. Mm-hmm. And running sort of falls off the edge. And that's usually the first thing to go is yourself because you're so, especially when you're an empath like me, I want to make everybody around me feel better. It was my job to take care of my mom and my brothers and sisters and everybody, my kids, my their moms. Like it was really, I, I took on all of that and there was no way. There was no way. Not alone. You can't, you can't. No. 
you can't do that to yourself as a human, as a like as a man, as, as and as an athlete. I, I I beat myself up so bad that those couple of years I was such in a low spot just because I wanted to do everything and I didn't have the mental fortitude nor the focus to do it. So it was really a learning process, and I'm so glad that I went through it the way I did because knowing what I know now, I feel like the next you know Tokyo, Paris. Maybe L.A., <laughs> but Tokyo, definitely Tokyo and Paris will be a lot better, and I'll have a lot more to show for, and I can be there, and I can enjoy it, and, it be, and track is fun for me now. It's, it, was, it's, it is still my job. It is how I take care of my kids and right. how I go about my life, but I have a balance now, and, it, and that's the key to any. I've watched R.P. Kobe. I've watched Kobe. I've, I've, I've done all this research on athletes to our parents because, you know, you can – What's the point of looking at someone who, who can't relate to you? Right. Like Kobe yeah. was a dad. He he worked out. You know how he got his workouts in? He was still a dad. He brought his daughters with him. Yes. You know? And I and I learned that. My kids are everywhere I go. You know, usually if, if they're not at school, they're with me. So it was, it's one of those things where you kind of learn how to juggle things in order to keep yourself healthy. And self-care is a really big thing. You know, my mental health, I go to therapy once a week You know, I do my yoga. I try to meditate. I write my affirmations. Like, I make sure that I'm mentally sound, that I'm okay with everything that I'm doing. Because the moment that you're not okay with it, the moment that you're not having fun with it, you're done. No question you're about done. it. So, did you, were you able to go to the Para Games in 2016? I was. I popped my hamstring at a at a promotional race in Brazil in oh. uh, in 2016. So I ended up giving my slot. They they selected me to the team. I just felt so bad taking a young because I was that young guy, you know, in right. 2012, and I didn't feel like I earned or deserved. They only gave me the slot because I was the world record holder and I was right. most likely the one most likely to get them the medal. But I hadn't put the work in, and I felt so bad for Nick Steelwell, you know, Hunter Woodhall. Yes. Oh God. Worked yeah. their butts off that year. I watched those young guys. They came to me. They asked so many questions. Like I saw young people, like pick my brain. Whether it was Desmond, whether it was uh, Johannes, uh, Felix, they came to me and they talked to me. And I and I and I wish I had a Richard when I was coming up to tell me the things I told them, but I didn't. And that's neither here nor there. But it's my. I feel like me, Jared, Johnny. We are those pioneers. Even though Oscar was there. We the, we're the ones who really grew the sport after London. No because question. London was our show. It was. After Oscar did what he like. We more people watched me, Johnny, you know, Blake, Jared, uh, everybody. Blake, and we they they watched us more than they watched both. Like more people saw our hundred meters in London than both hundred meters in London. That no and question. that's a big deal. And we're we pushed the boundaries now where we're running ten five. I know. Like it's ridiculous. Like it's, we pushed the sport so far at this point, and now I feel like Tokyo will be a, a Rio was okay, but the big names weren't there. But definitely Tokyo will be a culmination of what we started in in London for sure. Because I feel like this will be a year where all everybody's going to be there. Johnny has made a point to be there. I'm back. Jared's had a kid, but he's looking awesome right now. Felix is more determined after losing to his uh, countrymen in. Uh, Doha, I mean, Dubai last year, Felix is really excited about coming into this year. So is Johannes because he has a lot to prove. It's just going to be an amazing year for track and field in the, on the parallel side in the sprints. It's going to be crazy. Now, your your world record 100 meters was, was broken recently, right? Um, well, not in my classification. I still hold the oh, yes, right. world record. Because he's a double. It's a double, but he became, I'm no longer the fastest amputee anymore. He He became the fastest amputee, period. It was the ten fifty seven, I think he ran. Yeah, I think yeah. he ran ten fifty seven. Um, so I have I have something to say about that in the next coming coming uh, couple of months when I open up my season. So good for you. So you know, it's what's fascinating to me is if somebody makes the Olympic team, and I've seen it before, people get injured and nobody's given up their spot. Right? There's always an alternate, and the alternate knows that if somebody loses a limb, they'll duct tape it on. Right, because I got a spot in the Olympics or in the Paralympics. I'm not giving that up. The fact that you gave that up because you yeah, knew that—how hard was that? It wasn't. I'm, I'm a person of virtue for the yeah. most part. I, it, it wasn't a hard decision. I I saw those guys. Like I was there. Like I was there the whole season. Like, yeah. In the training center, like rather they were again asking me questions. These those young guys really look up to me. Like I and I and that's one of my favorite things about 
where I am in my career right now, those guys, those young kids who are coming up in the world, they really look up to me and Jerry, and they, they don't mind asking questions. They don't mind picking our brains how to get faster because they, they're the YouTube kids. They're the video kids. They've been watching us. Literally, these kids tell me, yep. I've been watching you since 2011. So I pattern my runs after you. I run like you do, and you can tell that they're getting better because of what me, Jerry, Jenny have been able to accomplish. Like, so, like Because we've pushed the boundaries. We've changed our prosthetics. We, I feel like we're the first group of athletes to be so self-aware about what we want on our prosthetics, how we want our prosthetics to work, our alignment, all of these things, because we're the information generation. We can literally just Google it. We can, we can know exactly how our carbon works. We can... We can know what force placement is and all these numbers and things that help us get better that the, the able bodies have had for years. Pairs have that accessibility. You know, we're, we have that accessibility now. So, so when you look at uh, back in the day, if you were the, the top of the heap, you weren't sharing your workouts. You weren't oh, no. sharing technology. You were because it was all about I want to win. Right. I want mm-hmm. I've got my advantage. I want to win. It's a yeah. little different when it comes to para because. You're not only trying to to win, you're also trying to grow awareness for mm-hmm. para sports. And yes, you sir. want that guy who's the uh, the young Richard who just lost his leg to a plate glass window mm-hmm. to know to see you on the top of the podium and to see that there's hope, right? So it's is that why you guys are out there basically saying, listen, this is what I do. And also the mentality is, hey, I can give you my workouts. <laughs> but I, I'm betting you can't do them. Right? Exactly. Right? So that, and that's a more, and that's how I approach it. Like I approach it as, hey, if I was, if it was me, yep. you know, in 2011, and if I had access to Marlon Shirley yes. or Oscar Pistorius, you know, those, those guys, Jerome Singleton, if I had access, I would have been asking questions like crazy. But we didn't have social media. We didn't have, like at the time, it was just. A, it, it just getting coming. going. Yeah. Yeah, it was just getting going back then. But if I could have asked, you know. But honestly, when we got to the game, I didn't talk to Jenny. I didn't talk to Oscar. Like, I don't care about y'all. Like, I'm here to cut your throat. Like, yeah, exactly. <laughs> that and that's really a big part of this, right? It's yeah, um, we we we're here to race. We're here yeah. to win. Afterwards, I'll talk to you. But you yeah. know, we're the same as anybody else. We want. We're here to dominate. If you ask anybody on the circuit, anybody who's ever competed, they know exactly how I am. We are friends up until it's time to start warming up. Yes, we are cool. But once it's time to get in game over, I don't. I'm not talking to you. No. Like I love you to death, Felix. Like Felix is like little brother. Like I love you to death, Felix. He, we had we had the same agent. We went to all the same meets, traveled together, everything. But hey, bud, you're running ten seventy now consistently. I can't I can't do nothing for you at this point. I'm still your competitor. Like I'll get I'll get you to a certain spot as a mentor. I'll you know I'll get you the awareness. I'll get you to what you need. But hey, when it's time to come to being this dog out on the track, the competitor in me. I'm ready to gut you. I don't care what it takes. <laughs> so gut you like a fish out so, here on this track. One of the things that, that I was very excited about when we got to meet is you're telling me that the goal for 2020 right now is decathlon. And we're talking yes, the Olympics, not so much Paralympics. I mean, obviously, yes, you're still you're sort of balancing both, right? Because you're planning to you're planning to be a decathlete at the Olympics in Tokyo, and then still participate in Paralympics. Yes, sir. That's the goal. Um, we, I came, me and my support group, we sat down about a year ago, um, and we wanted to make a statement. It was bigger than track and field. It was bigger than Richard. It was, it's bigger than Blake. It's bigger than, you know, uh, Marcus Rim. Para sport is legitimate. No, no question. And now you, guys are getting, like, now you guys are getting equal money, which is even yeah. cooler. And which is also, I think we really want to shout out the Olympic Committee for making that happen. Yep. Um, all the guys who've been working for inclusion, like whether it was Kathy Sellers back in the day, whether it was, I mean, whether it's Cherise and everybody now, we really shout out the guys who made that happen because we deserve it. Let's start off with saying that first. Yeah, no question. But we're still, we still have a long, long, long way to go because that's only the Olympics. We don't get paid the same for meets. We don't get paid the same stipends. We don't get paid the same for sponsorships. Those are, those. but the Olympic medals, yeah, they're the same. So that's a big step in the right direction. But we still have a long, long way to go as far as para-sport being a sustainable, self-sustainable income and means for people to compete and make a living doing it. So that's why going to the Olympics as a decathlete, showing it's not my prosthetic that makes me great because my prosthetic has nothing to do with me throwing a javelin. 
has nothing to do with me jumping over, going five meters in pole vault, hurdling, any of that. I want to show the world that amputees, for amputees and able-bodied sake of life, that we are, if not just as good as you, better. Like, I want to be better than you regardless of this prosthetic leg. Like, I will take it off. I will hand it to you, and I will still go high jump, like like the Indians do, or the like the guy from um, I think he's from India, or he's an India or Bahrain. He literally takes four big hops and he can jump almost two meters yeah. with no prosthetic or anything. So to show the world on a grander scale, because the Olympics is the biggest sporting event in the in the world, especially for track and field, especially for track and field. So to show the world over ten events that we can hang, that we can be there, that we can compete, we can beat you. It's not because of our technological advances. It's not because of our technological doping. It's just because we work so hard. Tatiana McFadden, just like with all these people, we sit down and we talk about what we do daily. It's rigorous. And not to mention, we have families. We have to balance things like any other human. It's not like we don't live normal lives like any other human just because we have physical disabilities. No, we have families. We have jobs. We have People are in school, have career choices, you know, responsibilities outside of track and field. And the world seems to forget that. The world seems to look at us, see our disability, and the first thing they think is, oh, you guys are just here. It's so glad that you guys are even just here. This isn't, this isn't one of those things where someone trains for years and we're just glad to be there. <laughs> if we're gonna if we're gonna be invited to the party, we sort of want to be up on stage. Exactly. <laughs> we don't want to be in the back. No. We, yeah, we don't want to be in the back, especially when I'm just as talented as a gap. Absolutely. I'm just as talented as a boat. So I'm like, just, yeah, the biggest challenges going. I mean, you're talking throwing the javelin, throwing the shot put, throwing the discus. Mm-hmm. You're talking about uh, hurdling. You mm-hmm. pole vault. I mean, did you have any background in any of this stuff? Nope. I learned it all on the fly. So oh, my God. Summer, this summer was the learning curve. We wanted to see if I could even do it. Like, can you go over a hurdle with your blade? Like, that was the hardest thing. Yeah, that's a heavy, you got to, you know, it's, talking about, they always talk about that, oh, you have an advantage because you have a prosthetic leg. And I'm like, guys, I've been out at the practices and workouts where people's legs fly off. It, mm-hmm. It's not like you've got a permanent thing attached to your body. It can come exactly. off at any time where you're going 20 miles an hour. Exactly. And which, I've, which has actually happened to me. Or we get pressure sores. Yes. Or our legs break. Yep. Or, you know, all these things. Or, you know, our liners tear, loose suction, all the things that able-bodied would never have to deal with. They, I, I, they don't have yeah. to worry about equipment malfunctions on, in a race. All you have to worry about is putting your spikes on and going out there and running. I have to worry about my leg being dry. Make sure my suspension is good. Make sure that my height and alignment are all adjusted the correct way. Like, so much goes into it behind the scenes that they don't get to see. All they see is the end result, and they see awesomeness in the first, because it's something that they can't fathom. It's something that they don't feel that they could do themselves. Oh, it must be an advantage. Oh, it must be. Oh, does it make you faster? It's it's bouncy, right? No, 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 no. If I don't put force into this leg, it does not move. It's not, right. a, yeah. it's, not it's not mechanical. It's everything that I give it. It gives me about ninety-seven percent of that. So I'm still losing energy. Unlike you and your in your Achilles and your calf muscle, you're not you're losing energy, sir. I'm losing energy just off brake forces and energy displacement. All those physical, like those physical terms that apply here, I'm losing energy. So I'm at an immediate disadvantage from the start. So when you're doing decathlon, do you have to use different prosthetic legs for different events? Okay, so this week, uh, okay. Because <laughs> <laughs> I, I think, I'm when I think gonna... of the decathlon, basically you need a Sherpa. Right, you you need a shot put, you need a discus. A ja- I, I remember having uh, Bob Segrin, gold medalist in pole vault. And I'm like, how do you travel with that thing? I mean, it's, mm-hmm. it's as a triathlete, we have to travel with a bicycle, which is a pain in the butt. But uh, you know, pole vault pole, it's not the easiest thing to put in the overhead. It's not. It's not at all. But that was the thing. Um, we decided to not switch legs during the decathlon, only because of that argument. Or why does he have to switch legs? Yes. Right. So you. You give them as least to argue about as possible. Yep. Like, yeah, I'm, I walk into the competition with two legs, my running leg and my everyday leg. That's yep. only two legs I'll bring. I won't bring anything special. I won't I won't switch legs day one at all. Day one is the same leg all day. Day two, I won't switch legs into pole vault because I do pole vault in my, re- my regular everyday leg, and I do all my throws in my regular everyday leg. 
any other event after that, I do in my running leg. Okay. We have yeah. the physics that prove, like, hey, my walking leg is my walking leg. It does not give me inner energy. Like, none. It gives me about 83% energy return, which I can't do nothing with, but probably play basketball in the on the gym. Like, right. <laughs> pick up basketball. So that's why I switched to my sprint leg when it's time for the one, the four, the long tie hurdles. And uh, we're still trying to decide if I'm going to run the 15 in my walking leg or my running leg because there's just so much energy to maintain right. the 15 meters. We're still trying to decide that. But I'm getting a lot stronger, so I think I'll be able to sustain 1,500s in my running leg. So, Have you raced uh, decathlon yet? Uh, no. So right now, uh, my first decathlon will be at the end of April, um, which I'm very excited about. And where will that be? Uh, it'll be here in Arizona. So I'm very excited to be at my home track, Drachman, uh, which I'm very excited about. Shout out Wildcats, U of A, Bear Down. Woo! Um, but yeah, it's, I'm very excited about it. It'll be the goal is just to get my qualifying standard so I can get ready for nationals. I don't want to chase the standard all year. Just want to get my I want to get my standard so I can get the trials. And once I'm in Eugene, I'll 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 cross that bridge. Um, we're we're taking we're being very careful, very meticulous. My because training has been crazy. I've never I didn't really knew no when, before I made the decision. I didn't know how much training was going to go into. Well, it. yeah, you, these are ten sports that you're competing in at a world class level. You know, yeah. To be completely honest, I did not know how much training was going to go into this. So much strength training. I've never been in the gym lifting weights so much in my life. Yeah. And so that's great to put on all that upper body weight that's really going to help you in that 15. I know every decathlete hates the 1500. Yeah. So it's just really, I'm more concerned about the pole vault right now. (laughs) The pole vault is my, first of all, I'm afraid of heights. (laughs) You're afraid of heights. Oh, my God. Yeah. So you're going to turn upside down, uh, holding down to a pole. Turning upside down and turning and falling 18 feet is not my ideal situation. (laughs) That is hilarious. But I just got to do, you know, I just got to get to like 14. I got to get just get to like four nine. If I can get five meters, that'll be amazing. But my strength, I know for a fact, my strength is day one. I'm gonna try to kill it day one. Be ahead of it. Be ahead of the field coming into day one. I mean, leaving day one, going into day two. I'm a great hurdler. Get my hurdles done and just hold on to the rest. Like <laughs> just hold on those last four events is a is what we're looking to do. So really, just shoot for the first six. Hold on the last four. And hopefully we'll be on the podium. Well, we will be on the podium. We will be on the podium. Now, hopefully, we will be on the podium. How many po- How many points do you need to be able to go to the trials? Oh, you only need 7,900 points. I can go get 7,900 points right now. Like, yeah, but, but, yeah, I can go. <laughs> you only need 7,900 to go uh, to trials. But in order, to, I feel like in order, the, the lowest score to ever make the Olympic team in the decathlon for the United States is like 8,300 and some change. Right. So if you don't at least score 8,300 points, you most likely won't be in the top three. Uh, the U.S. is kind of weak right now in the decathlon. We have Williams out of UGA. He's really good. He scored 8,800 last year. So he's looking up. Um, I'm really worried. About, I'm not worried about him, but my goal is to just get to the games and compete against the Aussie um, and the French guy. Any. So I feel- any issues? I mean, have you talked to USOC about this? Are they Uh-oh. open? Because it's, you know, I, I've seen what Blake Leeper has gone through, and it seems like the U.S. will say, oh, no problem. Come on. Just, you know, don't sue us. Come out and participate, and uh, then we'll just let the IOC say you can't come. Yeah, so that's, that's, that's the hang up right now. The USOC is cool with it. IOC is cool with it. It's actually IAAF. That's yes. The problem um, that doesn't have, it. but they're going individually based, so I can't really come in on Blake. I can't really come in on Marcus. I feel like we all should be able to go. Um, that's just my opinion. Sure. But as far as the actual logistics of how we're going about it, they're taking each case individually. Right. Um, which is good. The way they should do it. Awesome. I'm glad they're not just saying, "Hey, no one can come." Um, so I'm really looking forward to the process. That's why we want to qualify early to get it out of the way. Let's get arbitration going. Let's see what we're going to compete. Let's get it out of Because the only one that they can really argue with me on is the long jump. That's literally the only one they can argue with me on because of what Marcus is doing. Right. And how Marcus is competing. Um, but I will say this, Marcus has been an anomaly. If it was just the blade, everybody would be able to put on the blade and go over eight meters. Marcus is the only amputee to ever go over eight meters. Yeah. Ever. Yeah, yeah. He's the only amputee to go over 770, <laughs> let alone like, <laughs> So he's, he's the, literally the only amputee to ever go over 26 feet at all. Like, not even close. 
<laughs> so wow. um, that's my argument as far as uh, the long jump goes. If it was just the blade, he'd be able to, everybody be able to go, you know, eight meters, nine meters. Buddy. It's just how it works. But Yeah, but, uh, he, but he's not going for decathlon. No, he's not going for the decathlon. He's going for the open long jump. Right. I feel like that's going to be an uphill battle. And uh, right. Lake is for the open four. Right. Um, which Oscar said the president, but... Uh, I'm, I'm hope like again. I'm hoping they let us all this come because if we're if we're there, we qualify. Hey, we're we're better, right? You know, like it's just that simple. If we're here and we can qualify, we should be rewarded by for our efforts, and that's just that's what it is. I, and it's interesting because I've never seen any of the able-bodied competitors complain. Uh, they, they, they only they only complain when they're losing. <laughs> right? Yeah, 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 yeah. No one says a word. You know, it's great. You guys are here. Da 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 da. But you, they take you hand them an L, and now they have a lot to say. <laughs> it's so, um, it sort of reminds me. Yeah, it reminds me of Oscar at the 2012 games in London when Oliveira beat him. All yep. of a sudden, all of a sudden, he's got an advantage because he's got longer legs. I was like, yep. "Yeah, Oscar, yeah, you're talking to the choir here. People have been saying that about you forever." <laughs> I'm like, "Dude, you just did a, a huge Poor negative timing. to our sport. Yeah, bad timing on that. That was not not a good thing." And he admitted that that was really poor timing and really poor. It was really in poor taste in general. Um, but yeah, we don't, I don't I, I don't get into. I feel like if you go, if you can compete, it don't matter what you're doing. Like because. If it was, it's one of those things where to be an Olympian is literally one. It's not like you know going to play in the NBA. It's not like going to play in the NFL. Like you have, you can be a lot less you know talented than uh, Tom Brady, and you can still make the league. You know, sure. But you have to be top three out of two hundred and fifty-six million other Americans. <laughs> top three in your event. So three out of two hundred and fifty-six million people. That that's that's how hard it is to make the the American Olympic team, and what I'm about to go accomplish, whether or Blake is about to go accomplish, or Marcus. He has to be literally the best long jumper in Germany. Yes. In order to make that team, he has to. I think Germany only takes the top two, so it's like two out of whatever the population of Germany. So if, if look at the numbers of what we're trying to accomplish, whether it's entity, able bodies, who cares? In order to run, it's not many people in history have, that have run under 45 seconds, let alone an amputee like Blake. Right. He has to work so hard. I, 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 I've known Blake my entire career. I'm not saying he's always been, he's no angel. No. He's not, but that kid works. Well, yes, he does. And that he's, yeah, Willie Galt is his coach, and he's not he letting will. him slack in any way, shape, or form. Exactly. Yeah. I see him at CLA because that's where I go pole vault a lot of the times. And, Oh, that guy's working hard, and I and that's one thing you can't take from us. We work just as hard as the able body. So to tell us that we have some kind of advantage is ridiculous. Because we, if we had an advantage, we wouldn't have to train six days a week. Like, right? We wouldn't have. We wouldn't have to be at the track twice a day. I'm at the track twice a day. I'm in the gym twice a day. Like I go, I wake up at five. I get my cardio in. I go to the track. I get my sprints in. I throw. I jump. I go back to the gym to lift. I go back to the track to get my pole ball hurdle tech work in. Then I'm like, not to mention I'm a dad. I got to go pick my daughter up from school, get her to tennis practice. We go to therapy. Like it's a lot. <laughs> As a, and I remember when we were in Phoenix there, it was like, yeah, I'm in Phoenix because there's no waiter pole vault up in Tucson, right? So you, you, have to, you have to drive down there to do your do the throwing and do the uh, pole vault. Yep. So it's, it's a lot of just, you know, it's a lot of sacrifices. So it's so much that goes into just getting to Eugene. And when once we're in Eugene, we have to look across at, well, I have to look across at 14 other people, 14 other grown men. Who don't care about my leg? Not at all. No, and they shouldn't. They don't care at all. <laughs> no, and they shouldn't. They're there to freaking get to the Olympics. They don't. Is that, you're just. They you're want just. To cut my you're, throat the same way I want to cut their throat. If you're they take my leg off and throw it. Yeah, they would. You're in the way. You're in the way. <laughs> <laughs> and but you also have to have that attitude. I remember. I think I was talking to Chris Huffins or one of the athletes from way back, and he. And I said, "So what's the goal?" He says, "Well, I want to be in a podium, but if I'm on the podium, I really want to don't want to be looking up at anybody." Exactly. <laughs> right. You want to be. You want. You're going for the gold. That's what it's all about. Somebody else's national anthem. That's not my goal. Yep. I want to hear my national anthem six times this summer. That's once at the Olympic Games and five times at the Paralympic Games. It's one of those things where I like competing for the U.S. is the top honor that you can have. Like, 
that even just to put the, the letters across your chest and go compete and have that honor. But that's, that's, that's my team. That's the team side of Richard personally. <laughs> yeah. How, how I don't is, want silver or bronze. I'm not happy just to be no, here. No. I'm trying to break the world record in my head. <laughs> no. how, how is all of this, you know, like you said, you're, you're, you go to your first Paralympics, you get silver medal, you break world records, you're flying, and then all of a sudden, you you know, your your life gets complicated, and now you're it's still complicated, and not not that having three kids was complicated enough. Let's add ten sports. That's that that that'll make your life a little mellower. Uh, but just what have you learned about yourself through all of this? Because it seems like you've you've come to grips with the fact that you know what life is complicated, but and track is not something I'm doing just because I got to pay the bills. I love this, and I want more. I learned about myself that I have a lot more in me than I even thought. You know, like people around me, and I, and again, I get teary when I think about this because even my friends now, like, they have to continually remind me that I deserve this, you know? Like, I deserve to be here. It's yes. one of those where you hit a low and you're like, why, you know, everybody, it's not just me. I'm pretty sure everybody ever goes through anything in life. It's like, why me? Like, why me? What did I do so wrong where I deserve this, that, and the third? And it's one of those things you have to be really introspective and take a step, take a step back and look at yourself. Like, yeah, you have, I have done so much that I could have done so much more. Like I could have trained more. I could have competed more. I could have, I could have been a better dad. I could have, you know, been a better husband, a better, you know, all better brother, better son, better friend. Like you, you think just because you've accomplished things that you, there's nowhere else to know. You can always get better. You can always align yourself with decisions day to day that can make you better the next day. I tell this is something I preach to my kids. Like I, like I ask my baby every day, "How was your day?" And she might say good, she might say bad. School was this, school wasn't, you know. But I always tell her, "Hey, you know what tomorrow is?" And she'll say, "Yeah." It's a be- it's a chance to make tomorrow better than it was today. You're right. I love you just it. have to align yourself with your decisions, and you can't be wavering. You can't be on the fence. You have to be okay with yourself, and that's the hardest thing I feel like any human has to do. They have to be okay with themselves in every little moment, whether it's wrong or right, because there's no there's no bad choices. The only the only teaching lesson. These are things I had to learn the hard way because I used to beat myself up so much. And you get in a hole, and it's so hard to pull yourself out that hole at that point. But you really have to just tell yourself, hey, I'm okay with this. I'm okay with life being complicated. It's my life. I can't change it out for anything else. I love my kids. I love my ex-wife. I love the, my, the mother of my kids. Like, yeah, we're, you know, we don't, we're not in the ideal situation, but we're in the best situation that it could be in for our current situation. You know, right. we, can't, we can't look to what could be. We have to look at what is. And make it better. Like Love every day, it. every moment, every second. Like, how do I get better? Or, you know what? I'm okay right now. I'm happy right now. But even though I'm happy with this vibration, with this feeling, hey, it's in myself and I can do better and I can continue to move forward without looking behind. Because again, there are no wrong decisions. No, there are no wrong decisions, only teaching methods. You just learn and you keep pushing. That's what I learned about me. I was so, I'm so hard on myself to a fault at times. And that's, you know, that's most people who are you know, very successful in whatever they do. You have to be hard on yourself. You have to be kind of narcissistic. You have to kind of be selfish, and you lose that along the way somehow, you know? But you have to, like, get that back, and you have to keep pushing forward, whether it's a leg, a limb loss, whether it's CP, MS, spina bifida, losing your job, you know, kids being bad that day, whatever it is. Everybody has their own issues. Like, I talk to a lot of people, and, you know, every, I think problems are relative. You know, what I might think is a problem, someone else might not think is a problem. So you can't really judge it off that either. You have to judge it off, you know, how do you feel about it? Are you okay with it? Are you, if you're okay with it, that's all that matters. Love it. Hey, Richard, thanks so much for taking so much time. Hey, so so through all of through all of this, with all the, the, the different training you're doing, because obviously you're training different now than you were when you were just a sprinter, are you fitter now than you've ever been? Oh, this is the best shape I've ever been in, by far. Yeah. Strong. They, people say your your prime is around 26 minutes. I, I believe it, because I, I, I have to, it takes a bit longer to recover. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I bet. <laughs> I will say that. It takes a little bit longer to recover, but as far as, how fit I am, how well I'm moving, my explosiveness. Like, I feel I have a really, really good chance of not only going to the game, but 
the come like coming top three. Uh, we're, my coach is very excited. I'm very excited. My support team is very excited. We just got we just keep pushing through. We've had a couple hiccups where there was a, I had a little injury, a little hiccup mm-hmm. with my leg, but that's just being an amputee. You know, you have pressure sores. You have to fight through it. You know, it's just what it is. Um, but other than that, I am the best I've ever been, hands down, especially mentally. So my mental is finally on the same page as my physical, and I really don't feel like anybody can compete with me, especially on the parasite. Uh, I feel like the IO, the for athletes to just send me the gold medals right now. Exactly. Yeah, they just just let it up. I'll see everybody else in uh, London. Uh, not London. We're not going to London this year. Uh, we're going to Japan. I'll see everybody in Tokyo a month earlier. So I'm super excited about that. I'm really excited about just being in Tokyo the entire summer, competing at both games, representing USA, and showing the world that amputees, challenge athletes, adaptive athletes, we can compete. Yes, we you are can. Here to stay. We're not going anywhere. We are. We're and we're not the special Olympics. Everybody doesn't get a medal here. We are. Real true blue athletes. You know, I have nothing against my mentally disabled compadres, like, but it's different on our on the Paralympic side. We get confused a lot. Yep. You know, and again, the, the Special Olympic movement has grown so much. So shouts out to the Special Olympic movement, but the Paralympics is very different. It's just different. Yeah. Yeah, we compete at the same venue as the Olympic Games. We compete. You know, we do the same events. We train for four years. Four years we devote to this. We devote four years to a week and a half. And if we have a bad day, four and a half years, you know? I know, I know. (laughs) Hey, Richard, it's such a pleasure to run into you a couple weeks ago and just having you on the show. Man, I am a huge fan. I can't wait. I might need to get down there in April and watch that uh, decathlon. That's going to be fun. Thank you, Mr. Bad. I'm definitely looking forward to it. And again, like, I want to, hey, CA, I love CAF. They've given me a few grants. (laughs) Love it. Thank you. that they do for adaptive sports and everything that they do for us as a community. I love it. Whether it's a triathlon, dealing with Peter Harsh, everybody. Everybody's been so great through CAF, and I just want to say that, too, because you guys are awesome. Thank you, buddy. Richard Brown has been our guest. Again, my name is Bob Babbitt. We're brought to you by You Can, Smarter Energy to Finish Stronger, by fellow Fix, the world's coolest mobile bike shops, by Endurance Con, coming up on June 27th, 28th, Long Beach Convention Center. You can go to EnduranceCon.com for all the info. By our talent Athletes Foundation, 27th Annual San Diego Triathlon Challenge, coming up Sunday, October 18th. Don't miss the best day and try. Go to challengedathletes.org for all the info. As always, endurance lives here.